our needs. Uh, and sometimes we may ask, you know, why? And we're looking at Job, and that's exactly the reason I chose this that I've been studying and put together this whole, uh, this whole lesson, along with the slides and everything and the scriptures. I put these together so we can just take a look at it. What's happening according to Scripture and why th some things happen? You know, some things happen are our own fault. And some are not. But God is faithful through it all. Through all. So let, let's have a special prayer for all of these. I was talking to Brother Greg Luke. He is still having tremendous sinus problems. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to breathe. He told me this morning, he said, I'm just having a hard time breathing. He doesn't have COVID. He's just got sinus infections. So let, let's pray for, for all of these right now. Our Father, we come to you this morning for, the, for those in our congregation, for those of our friends that, are, that surround us, Lord, that need a special touch from you. For all of those that we have, Lord, our friends, our ministers, uh, Brother Griffiths and his wife and, and Brother Dean and his wife. We pray for them in, in their congregations that have the COVID-19. We pray for Westmore and the other churches who are uh, infected so, so much with this. But Lord, we also pray for the, the many of those in our congregation and connected with us who have cancer. And Lord, I pray that you would just reach down your hand of love and power and that you would bring a peace and a comfort and a warmth in their heart that they'll know that God is right there with them. And Lord, for all of these things that we pray, for, for all of these, for our nation, for our president, for, the, for our leadership, Lord, that you would stir their hearts and that you would put a burning in their hearts for your word and for you and for truth and justice. Lord, you told us when we pray to pray for our leaders, and that's what we're doing. Father, we, we give it all into your hands because we realize that in your hands, Lord, it, it, everything's all right. And that's where we want to be, in your hands. So we give you praise now in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Job, and we're going to look at uh, the, the basis for it, you know, the, the name all the way through, and we're going to be looking at some reasons why people suffer, according to Scripture, not, not what I say, or not what I believe or dictate, but I want, I want to say, what does the Scripture say? And we find a lot of this in Job. He explains a lot of this in, in Job. And the first thing we have to look at when we're, we're talking about this is the name itself. The name of the book, Job. Uh, as with many of the Old Testament uh, books, the title usually is derived from the character in the narrative. Same thing here. The book is named after Job, the main character of the book. And the Hebrew meaning for Job, anybody know what Job means? Job means persecuted. Very appropriate, isn't it? How many of you have ever heard of anybody named Job? I wouldn't name my child Job. Persecuted. I wouldn't name my child Jezebel. Those have connotations that are not exactly what you want. I know we were talking before service about my youngest son, Kyle. Kyle, when he was born, he was, we adopted him. He was blonde-headed, blue-eyed. We named him Kyle Nathaniel Peacock. The name Kyle means fair and handsome. He had blonde hair, blue eyes. And then the word Nathaniel means gift from God. He's a fair, handsome gift from God. And that's exactly what he has. And he's proved to be that. He's proved to live up to that name. But names mean a lot 
in the Old Testament. And here it's persecuted. Persecution is the name of Job. And that he really was. Uh, we want to go into the author and the date. When was this book written? And I never really stopped to think about this. So I'm going to give you a, a little bit different slant right here. Uh, on, on the, the dates of what happened, uh, when it happened, and there's a, a reason for it. You know, the book of Job, it tells us that Job, he didn't know the drama that was being played out in the heavens. That, you know, God and Satan were talking and discussing. He didn't know that. All he knew was just what was like we do, where we're living and what's happening. And, and we, we look at this, and, and I really can't tell you, Job did not write the book. Somebody else did. Now, I can't tell you exactly who the author is, but most theologians seem to think that it was Solomon who actually wrote the book of Job. Uh, although Job lived at a totally different time, uh, but he still could have written it because Moses wrote about Adam and Eve, and he didn't live in that time. Uh, but with divine enablement, he were able to write the book. The style of writing seems to be about the same as Solomon's in the book of Ecclesiastes. So a lot of people say that possibly Solomon wrote the book. I can't tell you that specifically. But the date in all of this plays a good part of what I'm going to be discussing. And there's mention, we were looking at, well, when was this? And that was one of my first thoughts. When did Job live? Have anybody ever thought about it? What was the period of time? When did he live? That's important to understanding what's happening in the book of Job. When did he live? There's mention of Adam and Eve in the book of Job, so he lived after that. Uh, and then there's uh, mention of the flood in Job, so he lived after the flood, and uh, probably before the covenant of Abraham. The Exodus, the law of Moses uh, are not mentioned in there, so this is Probably, you know, before that time. Uh, probably during what we call the patriarchal age. It was moving over from before Abraham and even possibly into the time of Abraham. They talked about the existence of the Chaldeans. It talked about Job conducting priestly functions in the home. It also talked about uh, uh, that, that Job probably lived before the time of Babel and before or somewhere along the same time as Abraham. That kind of tells us when. But the important thing in this is he was living, and this happened after the flood. That is important, very important. So let's look right now at a little bit on, on the background of this. Satan was an archangel, but Satan was tempted. Satan, if you remember, wanted to be like God. Satan really committed the, the, the wrong sin, and he, be, he became a fallen angel. He was cast out of heaven. And uh, it, it's, this is be, before the time of, of Job, but if you re, recall also a major victory, so Satan thinks, was the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember they were, had to leave the garden. And the devil feels like at that particular time, you know, he had a great victory in fighting against God in his plan. Now, after the flood, God, if you look at this, the reason for the flood was what? Why did, why did God bring the flood on the land? Wickedness. Because of wickedness, right? I mean, you have Adam and Eve had sinned against God. Then you have their children, you know, 
Uh, Cain and Abel, you know the story there, Cain kills Abel. Well, sin became so infested that God wanted to cleanse it. And you might say, during the flood, to wipe it out, except for Noah and his family. And here is a period where they're starting over. The Lord says, I'll just wipe all this sin and all this degradation out of the way. We will start over. Well, you know, Satan, he thinks, oh, he's starting over. I have had a great victory in the, in the, in the garden. If I can get his elect, if I can cause his elect to fail, to sin, oh, what a victory that'll be in my book. That's what Satan is thinking. And so then he, uh, looking for this victory, he, he decides, okay, he was talking with God. He said, the only reason that Job is serving you is because of the benefits that you give him. That's the only reason. And God knew better. And God said, no, that's not the reason. And, you know, Satan, uh, he, he, he looks at this as, as, boy, I could get another victory here. If I can just get another one to fall, if I could get his elect to fall. Do any wonder why Satan is so after ministers, leaders in the church today? Because if you can get a leader to fall, that affects a lot of people. So Satan is on his game. If I can just get another person to fall. And that, that's his whole job. And that, that's what he's after. But in the end... Job illustrates the power and the perseverance of true saving grace. You know, through this whole thing, we're looking at commitment to God, dedication to God, uh, even through perseverance. You know, he stayed true to God. So in, in the end, he tells us of this saving faith that took him through this persevering time. Job trusted in the very nature of God. Not, not for any benefits of what he could do for him. He just served God because of who God is. Not for any benefits for his own personal standing. The crescendo, I guess, of the whole book of Job is God's ultimate reward for Job's unswerving faith. His constant, continual faith. Nothing, even persecution, didn't change him. Does it affect us whenever things come our way that aren't, you know, we're thinking, you know, Lord, where are you? Why is this happening to me? What happens to our faith then? Could it be that God's testing you? We're going to find out here in a little bit. That's, that's one of the ways. But when your world is falling apart, and there are certainly occasions that will happen while you're serving the Lord, whether it's orchestrated by Satan or not, Job is an example to all of us of his, uh, of his unshakable confidence in the God of the Bible. And we need to... To, to, that's set as a, as a precedence for mankind, for us to be like Job. But how does adversity affect you? How many of you in here have had adver adversity in your life? Things that, you know, were difficult to come along. And then to think back, at how did you handle it? How did you come through it? How, we have people who say, well, if God is a God like that, you know, what God would allow something disastrous like this to come on his people? And they turn away from God. So we're, we're going to take uh, a look at, at some of this. But like Job, God calls us, his people, to faithfulness. 
Boy, that's kind of a hard word, faithfulness. What does that mean, faithfulness? No matter what you're encountering. Well, I'm in the middle of cancer right now. God still wants our undeserving faith. May this whole lesson of Job be an example to every one of us the way that we should follow and what we should do when we're going through adversities. And we all will have those. Let's go on to the emphasis of the themes that's happening here in, in Job. Why do you trust in God? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you as an individual trust in God? I believe that He is and that He is a reward of them that So you believe in the character of God. In other words, you believe in because of who He is. Not because of what He can do. Not because of His power. Not because of His majesty. Not because of His glory. But all of it just who He is. He is God. Therefore, I serve Him. You know, if, if we did it because of just the things that the blessings He gave to us, uh, like happened to Job here, boy, He put that, that, He settled that question right quick. In the midst of all of this, Job couldn't say, or the devil couldn't say, you know, anymore that, oh, He is only serving you, Lord. Because of what you do for him, because of how you blessed him, because what happened to Job? What calamities happened? I mean, he was a wealthy man, a well-known person. He was, I mean, he was one of the elite. And all of a sudden, he loses everything. And I don't mean just the cattle or the camels or whatever animals he had. I mean, he lost everything even his children he lost everything how would that affect you if you lost everything tomorrow you got up and something happened and you lost everything it would be detrimental wouldn't it it would be very hard very detrimental how would we handle it would you Blame God for it, as some people do? Would you still praise the name of the Lord? Would you get up and still sing a hallelujah song? That's difficult, isn't it? That's difficult. But this is what happened to Job. This, this is... Uh, it's a hard case. But he believed because of the attributes of God. He believed because God is God. And it didn't matter the circumstance. If you're on top of the mountain or if you're at the bottom of the valley, he said God is still God. God is still in control and God will vindicate His people in due time. God is deserving of our worship. God is deserving of our praise. God is deserving of our adoration. God is deserving of our respect. Not for no other reason except He is God. He is our Creator. If He is who He has revealed to us in Scripture, then it matters not what happens to us or what detriment may come our way because we can still look to Him as God. And this is a huge message in the book of Job. Another main theme in the book of Job is it relates to suffering itself. And even when you can't figure out the reason for your personal plight, you still need to trust in the integrity of a holy God. That is what will take you through. Uh, one person said, 
the ultimate answer to personal pain and suffering may not be in finding a solution. You may not ever know the answer. But in submitting yourself to the forging of a closer communion with Abba Father, you know, to be drawn closer to Him. Presented with the mystery of suffering, intimacy with God becomes the only salve, another person said. In other words, your relationship with God during your trial is the only salve or salvation you may have. And in that light, suffering always makes sense when you look at it from that angle. Because God desires communion with His people. Why were you created? What? We were created to worship and to serve God. He desires that communion. Now, what, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but what happens? How many of you have children? How many of you have ever disciplined your children? Why did you do that, you awful thing? Why did you discipline them? Because you love them. Does it make sense that if God loves us, He would want to chasten us and correct us? And then when He does that, we say, well, God doesn't love me anymore. There is no God. You know, we just go the other way. What He's wanting is that communion and that fellowship. Uh, if sometimes the reason for suffering is unknown and it's not accompanied by any personal innocence you don't know what it is it could be God is wanting communion with you a little closer you say oh come on God's not that kind of a God let's take a look at it and see did you know the created are sometimes ignorant pawns in heavenly activities? What does that mean? What do you think? Oh, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God is our creator, not our slave. And the creator doesn't have to ask the creation how he runs things. If you take uh, clay and you put it on the potter's wheel and you can make a clay vase out of it, you can shape it and mold it and you can uh, fix it any way you want it because you're the creator of it. And then the creator will take that and use it for his glory. For whatever he needs. We are the clay. God is the potter. He molds us. And shapes us. But the clay. Had no say so. I didn't ask to be born. Did you? Did any of you plan it? No but God. Had a plan for you. And God took you and molded you and shaped you into, into who you are. Uh, if we look at this, and we want to look at the, the, the suffering, and what, what, is, what has happened here, you know, presented with the mystery of suffering, Intimacy of, uh, uh, intimacy of God is very important, and that's what keeps us going. But we have no choice sometimes in what is happening in the heavenlies. Just like Job, he didn't know what was happening, God and Satan talking, and Satan saying, hey, the only reason the Lord says, you know, hey, consider my... My child, 
Job. He said, oh, the only reason he is serving you is because of all the blessings that you give him. That's, that's it. That's it. Job didn't know all of this was going on in the heavens. And there are things going on in the heavenly realm that we don't understand sometimes. And did you, did you know that sometime you are included in what is going on? What, what would it be if, if, if the devil and, and God is having a, a discussion today in the heavenlies and uh, God says to him, well, consider my servant, Eulene. Would that be an honor? Or would it be a curse? According to the way we look at it, from God's point, uh, standpoint, that's an honor. Consider this person. And then we look at it. Did you think of how Mary felt whenever you know, the angel told her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah? She was chosen. Could it be that sometimes in situations that you are chosen for a particular thing? And it may be suffering in the midst of it. But you are chosen. What an honor from God to be chosen. But I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer at all. I want everything to be good. I want everything to be smooth. I want everything to be right. But God didn't promise us a bed of roses. God didn't promise us we would never have temptations and that everything would, would be all right. But the first one is suffering for strengthening. I want to look at, at four, four of these reasons from the scriptures here in Job. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul states why he was allowed to have a thorn in the flesh. Now, people have preached on this through the years, and they have questioned what was his thorn in the flesh? Some said it was his wife, some said it was other things. I don't know. It doesn't matter what his thorn in the flesh was. But unlike Job, he knew exactly why he suffered because he said in verse 10, he says, Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When do you draw the closest to God? Anybody? When what? Things aren't going right. Sickness comes along. Adversity hits us. We draw closer to God. Could it be that God is saying, hey, I'm just trying to draw you a little closer? Could it be that he just wants to strengthen us more? Why, what was the reason you chastened your children? Because you want to strengthen them and the things that are right. And so they can have a, a, a good life. And so God is the same way. God allowed continual suffering in Paul's life for the purpose of keeping him to dependent upon God. Why? Paul was a very educated man. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a well-known figure. If everything Paul did was victory and great and people looking at you know, the whole works, there was too much of a chance of Paul exalting himself. And God allowed this thorn in the flesh which kept him humble and kept him depending on God. What would happen to us if everything that we did was just great 
and perfect. Everything we touch turned to money or, you know, just prosperity. It's so easy for man to just say, oh, look at me. Look what I've done. Look how big I am. But God chastens those whom he, he loves. So he, he does this sometimes for strengthening. He said, God's strength is perfect in our weakness. When I'm at my weakest point, usually is when I'm strongest in the Lord. Is that the way with you? The Lord is just drawing us closer. So sometimes suffering comes along to strengthen us. Whenever you come through a trial and you come through victorious on the other side, do you feel victorious? You say, oh, praise God. You know, look what God has done. I'm victorious. We've come through it. And it builds our strength for when the next trial comes. And trials will come. Let's look at the next one. Suffering for the comfort of others. Wow, what are you talking about? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 states how one's suffering builds character and compassion in order to effectively comfort others who may need suffering. Have you ever talked with someone who is sick or they're afflicted or they have problems and they're having to deal with something that you yourself went through? you become a greater teacher when you've experienced it yourself. There is no greater person to talk to another person with cancer than one who has had cancer and come through it. When you've experienced it yourself. And I, I know there's, there's been things in my life that's made me a lot stronger to be able to deal with situations in other people's lives. It's not something I read from a book that I, did I tell them. For example, at the Home for Children. I could sit down at the Home for Children and I could talk to a lot of those kids on a level that nobody else could because they hadn't experienced it. I mean, I know what it was for a mother to leave. I know what it was uh, for my dad to die 12 years old. I knew what it was to be raised by my grandmother. I knew what it was to, to be at school. You don't have parents. You can't put their name down. And I, and I asked uh, two young ladies at uh, the Home for Children. Both of them were at Lee. They'd come home on the weekend, and we were sitting at a table. And uh, I was sitting there with them, and we were just talking. And I looked across the table, and I asked her. I said, let me ask you a question. She said, sure. I said, has it ever bothered you that in over at Lee, you go to in every semester you go through, you have to fill out all the papers and all this stuff, and you're filling out these papers, and you come to the place and it says parents. She was a full orphan. Her parents, both parents were dead. And she sat there and just looked at me. I said, it did me. It bothered me a lot. Every time I'd have to go through it, I'm trying to put it down, and I can't put my parents. And she sat there with the tears streaming down and she said, Brother Peacock, it bothers me a lot. She said, but no one has ever asked me that. I said, it's not because they don't care or don't uh, understand there. It's because they've never experienced it. I said, I'm asking you because I've experienced it. I, I know where you're at. So, so God allows us some time to go through suffering in our life that later on we can be a blessing to others. Does that make sense? If you're a Christian, you, you, you realize, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. This makes a lot of sense. He says uh, in the scripture that you have up here, you know that we can... We're, we may be buffeted so that we can help others. And you take a person 
that has gone through cancer and they're sitting by the side of a bed of somebody with cancer and they're talking to them, believe me, they can talk a whole lot better to them than I can. I've never experienced cancer. But that person has. It may be, it may be difficulty in a situation that you have. It may be a family problem. It may be, I know in our case, with uh, adoption. People have asked us, you know, about uh, uh, adoption. What is adoption like? Well, well, buddy, we can tell them. We've been through it twice. But then Bonnie was talking with one lady one time. He was talking about the hardships of adoption. And she could go through and just relate with them and help them. And after they had their discussion through, she said, thank you so much. You have helped me so much. Your testimony, your testimony may be the testimony that helps somebody else get through their trial. Now, let's look at the next one. Sometimes suffering for chastening. And I mentioned this a while ago. I got a little ahead of myself about the children. When you, uh, when you discipline your children, you chasten your children, you do it because you love them. God chastens us sometimes. Why? Because he loves us. Now, what did you do if you had children and they did something you told them not to do and they did it anyway? Uh, did you say, okay, just don't do that again? What did you do? Anybody? You what? <laughs> okay. You, you, you placed a little love very rapidly on the posterior of that person, right? You used a belt, a switch, or whatever. Those old, those old long switches that were limber, you know, they'd say, this is what killed me. Okay, go get me a switch. Or, go get the belt. Oh, man, I'm going to be disciplined, but now I've got to go get the belt. And then you get the belt, and then you get the discipline. Well, now, what is the difference if God loves us so much and we do things we know that are not pleasing to Him and we've sinned and God disciplines us. He chastens us. He disciplines. Usually, if you commit uh, a wrong, there is a consequence for that. And uh, I know my, my boys and even if it, whenever I was in... Uh, principal of a Christian school. You know, the thing after they got so many demerits, they, they understood. They knew it. And I would let them know. They're walking down the hall with me. We're going to the office. And the first thing I would do is call their parents. And I would tell them, you know, this is what's happened. Here it is. I said, now, what do you want to do? Do you want to come up and discipline them or do you want me to do it? 99%, no, I'd say 100% of the time. They would say, Brother Peacock, Go right ahead. And I would discipline like uh, they knew was coming. And then I would pray with them again. I had this with my, my oldest son. We were walking down the hall one day up there in Baxley. And I'd come in from the church and we had lunch. And he said, Daddy, I've got a bad headache. I said, well, Brad, you want Daddy to go lay down with you for a while? He said, would you? So we walked down the hall. We walked in the room and... Lay down on the bed, so I laid down on the bed with him. And he was laying there, he said, Daddy, my head hurts so bad. I said, you want Daddy to pray for you? He said, would you? So I laid my hand over on him, and I started praying, and I was praying, Lord, uh, remove this. He just prayed away, and all of a sudden, he started pulling on my shirt. He said, Daddy, Daddy, you just as well quit, it's still hurting. I said, son, where is your faith? <laughs> you know. Are we not like that as, as adults sometimes? Instead of exercising our faith or, or going through with it, we get so far, we're feeling the physical. You know, when you're feeling the physical pain, boy, your faith kind of comes down here, right? That's why I need you and you need me. That's why we need to pray for each other. 
But he said, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. And then the passage goes on, he says, in verse 8, he says, he disciplines us for our good that we might share what? His holiness. Now, this, this is a term that I used to wonder. Uh, people, I'd ask a definition. What is holiness? What is holiness? And I battled with that and trying to say, well, well, it's not doing this and not doing that and not doing that. It's doing this. No, it's not. And Ray H. Hughes said one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, holiness is a state of mind. When your mind is stayed on God in His glory, in His power, and you live in that, that's holiness. So he says, He disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. God disciplines us because He loves us. If, if you never got onto your children and just let them go and do anything they want, what usually happened to them? Wind up in trouble, away from church. Uh, but he said to discipline, to discipline. So this, so this is another suffering, you know, that, that we face sometimes is chastening. And if something happens, uh, you know, I, whenever I, I was at home and severable, whenever I broke my ankle, it just messed it up so bad. I'm not even supposed to be walking. I'm not even supposed to have a foot. But we were there. We had company. It had rained just a little bit. I was building a gazebo, but we were inside. And our company left, and Bonnie was going to take our grandson back over to Maryville. I said, well, I'll just go out there and clean up around there, and I'm not going to do anything else today. So everybody left, and just as I walked outside, my neighbor left. There was nobody around. And I was on that ladder about this high. I wasn't even, how many, I wasn't even two feet high. And I reached up, I need to move that board. And I reached up to move it, and that ladder slipped and folded. And I went down. And all of a sudden, just like that, my foot was broken. I was laying on the ground. I come back across the ladder, and I thought, "Whoa, boy, mm, that hurt." And then I went to move, and I thought, "Where's my foot?" And I looked down, and my foot was laying back next to my leg. Every bone in there broken. And I thought, the first thing. Uh, some people, when they get hurt, the first thing they do is curse, let out profanities. But I said, whew, thank you, Lord. And I looked down and I said, whoa, I messed up this time. And I took my foot and I pushed it back around and tried to get it lined back up. And I tried to push the bone back because the bone was sticking out. Folks, that don't work. They show that on TV, and then they get a cowboy, you know, they'll break their leg, get back on the horse and ride it. That's not true. And I thought, whoa, Lord, I looked around, and there was nobody. First thing I said, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I said, and I was very specific. I said, Lord, I need two things. Because I just came out to clean up and I left my phone in the house. So I didn't have it with me. I always have it with me. I didn't have it. I said, Lord, two things. Don't let me pass out. And let me get back to my phone. <laughs> that was two things. And I crawled all the way out, all the way up to the house. I pulled myself up on the front door and I inside. And then I looked back and there was a trail of blood, and I thought, if this doesn't kill me, Bonnie will. 
and I found my phone, called 911, talked to them. I said, I told them, I said, you'll find me in here, lay it on the floor, because I can't stand up. It hurts. Now, why did all of that happen to me? I had a complete ankle replacement. Well, I tell you what, I got to witness to a lot of people in the hospital, to the doctors, uh, and they told me uh, uh, my, my surgeon was a Christian. And they told me that, you know, usually you lose your foot. People like this, you, you just, you are so fortunate. Before I left Sevierville, they said, you're our poster child on ankle replacements. Now, since that time, I have talked with people who possibly have to have ankle replacement or having trouble with it. And I can talk with them. Uh, but let, let, me, let, me, let me go on uh, in this. But sometimes the Lord chastens us and brings us back. Now, I was at home for three months and couldn't get out in a wheelchair. And I could. Well, I tell you what, in that time, you draw close to the Lord. It's not a time that you look back and say, oh, I wish I had never gone through it. It's a time you look back and say, God was so good. But I've got, to, I've got to move on just a little more for this last one here. Suffering for sin. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we look at Aaron and Miriam were talking. And they were showing a total lack of respect for Moses, the leader. And they were undermining his leadership. Let's see what, what happens here because of their sin. He said, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. You ever seen that situation in church? Well, now he's not the only one that ever hears from God. You know, other people can hear from God too. But they were, they were undermining the leadership. And God heard it. And you know what happened because of that? You know, God confronts their sin Personally, in verses 10 and 12, Miriam was plagued with leprosy. And she was put out of the camp for seven days before her healing came. Because of her sin, because of her sin, adversity came. Now we look at a person sometime and we say uh, I was talking with someone the other day. They were telling me this person smoked all of their life. And now they have the COPD, they have a lung condition, throat cancer, all of this. These are things we bring on ourselves sometimes. It's not something that, that God has done to us, but there is a price to pay for sin. An alcoholic who continues to drink all of their life, chances are they're going to have liver problems. There's, there's going to be a price to pay for all the things they did. Now, that doesn't mean God can't heal them. Don't get me wrong here. But we bring a lot of things on ourselves, and sometimes God allows it because of the sin in our life. And we can't point and say, well, well, God did this. We bring a lot of things on ourselves. God hates sin. It is totally contrary to his nature. Now, let me summarize this. And then next week, I'm going to go into seven characteristics that, 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 that we get uh, on daily living from the book of Job. But, you know, there are other forms of suffering. 
And it would be very wrong for us to say that, that every sin or, or every suffering is parallel to that of Job because it isn't. There are at least, or oh, there are other biblical reasons for it. But it is incumbent on every believer, every creature who is sinning. The Bible says, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Why? What has happened? This is in Corinthians 11, 28 and 29. To examine ourselves. And whenever we're going through adversary, sometimes we have to stop and say, well, why? Why is this happening? And I may not come up with a reason. Yeah, I may say, oh, well, it's not because of sin. Well, I've been close to the Lord lately. I don't think it's chastening. I don't think, you know, uh, why is it? And I may not come up with an answer as to why. But the thing is, Job teaches us it doesn't matter so much why as long as you maintain your Christian character and your belief in an almighty loving God. That's what's important. I'll finish this up next week. We're going to stop right there. And let me say thank you for coming. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your blessing and thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the practicality of your word and how it teaches us the things that we need to, to know that will make us better Christians. But Lord, we know that through any adversity, whatever it be, sickness or whatever, Lord, we know that you still love us. And we're not serving you, Father, because of what we can get out of it. We're not serving you for the benefits of Christianity. We're serving you simply because you're God. And we love you, Lord, and we respect you. We hold you in awe. You are, you are our ever-present help in our time of need. And Father, when we're going through difficulties, we will still lift our hands and say, God is good. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. Go with us, guide us, and protect us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Be here next week and we'll conclude this in the book of Job.